Hello guys, what is happening? It's it's good to be back. So welcome to Josh Talks. Um, it was a long week for myself. Long story short, I didn't release an episode last week um, because I basically I had a freak accident. Um, I was at a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu class and I think I've popped my ACL. We were doing takedown drills and from what I remember, I went to take someone down and they landed funny on my knee and I just heard a pop um, in the back of my leg and sort of like a crunching sound. So the last week I've just been in quite a bit of pain. I've been very, very sore. Um, my leg's still quite swollen at the minute. I'm still using crutches to get about. Um, but hopefully hopefully it all goes well. Um, I'm going to see a knee specialist um, on Wednesday. So hopefully I get some good news there. Um, they'll probably refer me for an MRI. That's what I think is going to happen. But enough about me. Let's talk about my next guest. So I had Woody on a few weeks ago. Um, what a guy. Really, really good fun to talk to. We talk about working at Tough um, this season on Team Vogue. We talk about being a strength and conditioning coach. We talk about pranks that they've got up to on the show. To be honest, the whole show was absolutely class. Um, just hearing his perspective, hearing what it's like working with top athletes, living over in Thailand, coming from a rugby league background, focusing on strength and conditioning. Um, him and the Hickman brothers creating their own gym. Like There's so much in this episode, and I know for a fact every single one of you is really going to enjoy it. So make sure you give it a, a share with your friends. Give it a wee share on Instagram for me. Tag me in your story. Let me know what you think. You can find me at Josh Talks on Instagram and Facebook. Now let's begin. Welcome to Josh Talks. Well, mate, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on, mate. Well, I'm very excited. So I had uh, a couple of the Hickman brothers on. I had John on. So yeah, sort of working my way through Tiger Muay Thai. I know you have <laughs> left there now, but sort of going through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're uh, we're making the transition. We're making a big big boy decision. Um, yeah, and starting our own our own place. So we're excited about that, though. It's going to be hard work, but we're we're excited about it. I was. I was talking about this and what I was wondering is, so see when, uh, say for example, one of the fighters in your gym has a fight, how many of the team actually travel over for that camp? Say it's a UFC card, how many of you would all travel? To be honest, mate, it's usually only, because UFC only pay for one one corner uh, to travel. So generally, it'll only be one of us go, um, unless it's kind of like a, a local event, say Singapore or or something like that, in which case then we'll all try and jump across. Um, but yeah, see, see, we've got like Loma coming on in November and it'll just be George going across. Um, but the thing is, and, and the beauty of where we've been for so long is we've got that many guys that we've helped in the past and trained in the past and whatever else. And also who have been teammates for a lot of the guys that we still train within Thailand. So any one of them can, can come and help corner or whatever it might be, you know, if, if we needed to, like, for instance, Casey, uh, King Casey O'Neill, she she'll probably jump in the corner of Loma if she's not got anything going on or, or whatever it might be. So we're we're quite we're quite blessed with that. We've got people that can help us at any point. So, what do you think it is about Thailand that that makes people want to do their camps over there? Because there are so many top European fighters and American. And yeah, I think, I think well. 
one of one of the one of the main things, mate, is I think it's everything in one place, and it's the ease of the ease of it. You know, um, like obviously going back to working at Tiger, so we had you know George and Frank. So you've got top 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 coaches there. You've got John Boy with the the boxing. You know, you've got uh, like multiple um, ex Muay Thai champions that can hold pads for you. You've got top BJJ coaches, Alex Shield and and um, whoever else was there at the time, you know, and then, um, yeah, and then you've got obviously the fit, the fitness side of things, which is myself and a, and a few other guys. So it's like, it's all there under one roof. Um, so, and it's all kind of on one street as well. So you've got your health food, you've got your hotels, you've got, you know, your protein supplements, you've got your protein shakes, you've got this, you've got that. Everything's just there. Everything's accessible. And it's a beautiful country and it's um, a lot cheaper than if you went to do a camp, say in America, probably, or, you know, if you went elsewhere. So I think that's, that's the appeal to a lot of people um, is it's cheaper, cheaper for, for people to come. I'm not saying it's cheap, definitely not cheap, but it's cheaper. And uh, like I say, everything's under one roof. So it's, it's, yeah, it's just easy for everyone. Everyone can just bounce in, do their training. It's five minutes to home have a nap, come back, training again, wherever it might be, you know. So how, how did your journey begin? How did you get in the strength and conditioning? What was your path? So I, I basically, um, I actually first went out to Tiger in 2005. That was the first time I managed to get across there. Um, and for people that, that, that know about Tiger now, it's, it's a massive, huge facility that caters for everything. Um, back then, we had two rings, um, we had kind of had a grappling coach with a guy called Daniel Saint. He was an Aussie. He was like a brown belt under Elvis uh, Sinisic in Australia. Yeah, Sinisic Parash Martial Arts. Um, and so, yeah, I went across there and um, when I got back, I was like, I kind of wanted to go down the path of, of uh, PT and, and, and whatever else. I was always into fitness and fitness for rugby and, and whatever it might be. So, um, I did. I kind of did the usual thing of gym instructor courses and and whatever it was. And then I was luckily enough, I, I got involved in a David Lloyd, which is a, obviously one of the big chain gyms in the UK. Yeah. And they have to you, to pass their PT course. Basically, it's like a six month thing, um, and it's with this um, provider called uh, Nazam N A S M, and it's. Um, it's basically a worldwide recognized one. It's, it's really, really um, sought after qualification. So I managed to get hold of that. And then on top of that, I had two guys that worked as conditioning coaches for uh, one of the local pro rugby teams, Warrington Wolves. So I got to shadow them too. So I was kind of like, I was quite blessed with that, with that opportunity to, to be able to, to jump in to not only get a really good qualification, but also to shadow these guys. Um, and then I was always kind of interested in doing it for rugby and whatever else. But then I made it back to, to Tiger in 2010. And when I was there, I was just like, you know what? There's, you're getting all these athletes come through. And at the time, we were still getting, you know, good UFC guys coming through, like Roger Huerta was there all the time. Phil Baroni was knocking about, a few other guys. Um, but there was no strength and conditioning for them. And it was mental. I was just like, how is there not anything for, for these guys to, to kind of do that? That was the avenue. So... Long story short, I went back home, 
again, but then 2012, I made it back out and me and my friend set up um, almost like a, an affiliate ship with a thing called Training for Warriors, which is Martin Rooney, if you've ever heard. And he was kind of like, back then, one of the main guys that was doing strength and conditioning for, for a lot of MMA guys. So we, we affiliated ourselves with him. Um, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. And I um, ended up going to Tiger in 2014. And then that's it. The rest is history. Just kind of paid my dues a little bit. And yeah, here we are now. What position did you play in rugby? Um, I played rugby league. So I was anywhere in the pack. Um, I grew up playing union and you know how it is as your body develops. I went from wing to fullback to prop <laughs> to hooker and then I settled at flanker. Um, but then, uh, yeah, I played rugby league and I played uh, 13, so like loose forward, which I loved. What do you prefer, union or league? For my game, league, it's all about running and it was all about running, tackling, fitness, you know. Mm. So I really, I really liked that. Um, yeah, I wasn't so much in the technical, technical side of things. See, I've never ever played, ever played league. Like, league's not really that common over Northern Ireland. Like, it'd be more union. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I don't think it is in Ireland at all, is it? Have they, have they gotten any? Um, you have like, you can represent Ireland in league, but it's still yeah. like it's not. I wouldn't say like they're pro. I'd say I'd still class them as very, very amateurish because it's like boys you be playing. You know, first fifteen with a union, like, and it's not, like, yeah. they're, not, they're not. It's not. It's not. I wouldn't say it's a great standard. I'm probably offending a whole lot of people here. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> I think, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's always been kind of up. They always joke up the M6, M56, M6, like up this way, which is basically all the northern towns and cities that that pretty much, you know, dominated, dominated the rugby league thing and, and kind of still do. So I think that's probably. Um, yeah, it's, it's never really branched out much further. I know um, there was at one stage I was going to go to America to, to play. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they set up an American league out there, and I think it's still running now. Um, and it was a de- quite a decent standard because it was all expats that had moved across there and um, were getting paid to play in, in quite a league. So you got a lot of Aussies and whatever else, and, and actual be union guys, like South Africans and stuff. But yeah, I went to watch a game, and I was quite impressed. It was, it was quite good, but... Yeah, rugby league's a funny one. It doesn't doesn't really doesn't really appeal to a, a lot of people, but um, yeah, I definitely like to. What do you think's uh, worse for injuries, union or league? Because obviously, in, in union, you have the rucks and stuff, which is where a while a lot of people get hurt at the breakdown trying to jaggle. Yeah, um, yeah, I'd agree with that. But I think the massive impacts in league as well. I mean, everyone's. I mean, it's the same for both codes. But the um, everyone's getting massive, fast and strong, and it's just like it's like two buses running into each other. You know what I mean? So it's the impacts in league. I think are a little bit more one on one and and more body body contact. If you know what I mean, like sort of chest to chest, kind of like gorilla style. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas unions more like okay, we've got to take them down and then I'm up and I'm getting the ball off you. So it's kind of like that. Whereas I think, yeah, it's about rugby league. It's all about putting that person on their back and like driving them backwards and stuff. So, I mean, there's arguments for for both for sure. I mean, obviously, yeah, when you're on the floor and someone's trampling on you, there's there's definitely definitely room for injuries there. You're definitely right. Like it's rugby as a whole is getting so much more professional. Like over yeah. the last 10, 15 years, like players, like you said, are getting absolutely massive I had a few of the Ulster rugby boys on 
and they were talking about like what they're doing in the gym and stuff, and they're they're lifting crazy numbers. Oh, insane, mate! Like absolutely insane. The the big big old boys now, big old boys now. But that's, I mean, you're getting paid. That's your that's your job, your profession, you know. So it's like that's that's kind of that's kind of all that they they do all day, you know. So it's it's good, and they've got some of the best coaches in the world, depending on where they are. Definitely Ulster will have some amazing coaches over that way. Um, so yeah, they're getting good coaching. They're getting good nutrition. They're getting everything's right for them. So yeah, it's um, that's why they're producing monsters these days. <laughs> I was talking to a few of the Ulster rugby players, and they were talking about like the strength and conditioning. They were talking about putting on weight and trying to find like their fighting weight as such. So I was talking to I think it was Mike Laurie. Um, he's playing fullback, quite small, got Player of the Year there. But he was saying like he was probably about eighty kg. Yeah. And he was playing fullback, and the, people throughout his entire life were trying to say, right, you need to put on more weight, you need to put on more weight. But when he put on more weight, he was losing that like sort of explosiveness. Same with Adam McBurney, like he talked about how he was like 105 is where he's at as a hooker. And they yeah. tried to put him, he put on more weight, went up to 110, and he just says, it just felt so sluggish. Yeah, that's that's the thing, like rugby very much is like that like they want they want to put the weight on you the size on you and stuff like that but i think that yes in certain positions i think there's an argument for that um but if your whole game is speed and explosiveness and getting past the game line and stuff like that you know if if putting weight on you prevents you from doing that and prevents you from being a good a player as you were then obviously it's counterproductive isn't it so you kind of do have to find what's best for you. And, and also that's, that's where good coaching comes in as well. You know, that's where good, good coaches come in because they, they can, uh, they can kind of see that as well. Um, and the player needs to know his own body too. Would a large part of your job now be looking at a person's mechanics, like the way they, they, they do things and trying to recorrect that? Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's kind of, the science of everything's kind of shifted a little bit and um, the, there's a lot more, almost like physiotherapy, not physiotherapy, but like corrective exercise and, and whatever else um, come to the forefront of like a, a strength and conditioning coach's job. Um, so yeah, if, if someone's got, you know, imbalances or whatever else, I'm going to, I'm going to obviously try and address that and correct that um, alongside and just kind of see, you know, if it's affecting their performance and, and whatever else. Um, but on the flip side, I, I've seen some wrestlers, that they've got like, you know, horrendous like curvature of the spine and whatever else because of the way they've been stood the whole life wrestling. It's almost like their ass sticks out and they've, you know, they're hunched over and whatever else. Now they've been wrestling since they were five years old. You know, a few weeks with me in a fight camp or wherever it might be, ain't gonna change that. Um, and that's where they're strong, you know. I'm not saying that it's it's optimal by any means. I'm not saying that, but that's where they've done most of their work. That's where their body's adapted and they're strong. And that's where their body's like, obviously built a lot of muscle and a lot of power and a lot of strength. And, and it works efficiently in that position. So um, I was actually speaking to some, some guys about this and it's like, if they come to me, a wrestler comes to me and he's, he's got these, these kind of positions, you know, I ain't going to spend four weeks out of the eight that I've got him trying to correct that. If he's leading up to a fight, you know, I'm just going to have to try and over time progress that. But um, 
yeah, it's uh, it's definitely all about making people stronger in 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 positions that are going to help them in MMA, obviously for sure, or or striking or grappling or whatever it might be. Um, end strength positioning and and things like that is is very important to keep the joint joints healthy and and, and stable. And um, obviously, when you're in a combat sport. You're getting tossed around here, there, and everywhere. There's things coming at you from all angles, and um, there are risk of you know of a lot of injury, especially knees when you're wrestling and and things like that. So it's all about yeah, keeping the person mobile and strong and basically resilient against the uh, you know what what's coming at them. I've started to get a lot more interested in here and in, uh, strength and conditioning coaches talk, and I think one of the big things in the UK is everybody sort of plays football. You know, as most kids growing up, they all want to be a professional footballer in Northern Ireland. Like our football team wouldn't be the best. But when you hear about what's actually going on behind the scenes in Northern Ireland, where it's starting to change a wee bit. So kids are going over at 16 years old over to the mainland to play for whatever club teams. And after talking to a few of the guys who have been over, they're saying like, see, ability wise, we're exactly the same. But where we're struggling is that all those kids from 12, the whole way up to 18 at professional teams, who've been getting this level of strength and conditioning. They're more physically developed. They're bigger. They're stronger. And that's only something that's came into Northern Ireland, I'd say, the last couple of years, is having good strength and conditioning coaches from that early age. Yeah, I think it's important now, mate, like in terms of, um, I mean, there was always that, that you know, that thing of, oh, you can't, you can't have a kid lifting weights and this and that and, you can just make sure that they've got the technique and it's safe and it, you're not like overloading them. Like, you know, as a kid, like you're running around trying to pick up logs, big, pick up big rocks by the sea and stuff like that. You were doing all sorts of that shit anyway, probably with no technique and whatever else. So it's like, you can, you can, you can have a kid lifting weights as long as it's done safely, efficiently. And honestly, that's the best way to teach people how to lift is when they're younger. Because they've got no bad habits, they've got no no kind of almost imbalances. I wouldn't have thought, or little or none. And it's yeah, it's kind of like they can all get into that 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 kind of deep squat and and everything like that. So it's it is one of the best times to to kind of teach. I'm not saying very young, but when you're coming towards like a professional career and you're coming into your teens, I don't I don't see a problem with it at all. How did you find the like the transition? So coaching probably you were coaching people who were from a normal way of life you know like they weren't involved in anything sporty as such yeah. like at a professional level and then going over to tiger and you're working with full-time athletes yeah so when i was obviously when i was making the kind of tr- transitions and I, I always wanted to work with athletes and originally it was rugby i wanted to work with um i obviously just saw that there was an opportunity there was a there was a gap in the in what the athletes were doing at Tiger. So I was kind of one of the ones that wanted to kind of correct that. Um, but prior to that, I'd, I'd coached like a few, just like my local rugby team and a few of the rugby lads. And um, also one of my mates who's a professional um, kickboxer, he was going on a big TV show in, um, in Koh Samui actually called Infusion. It was kind of like a reality. The first time they did it, it was a reality TV show where they brought like loads of kickboxers from all around the world and they trained together and then fought and whatever else. So I was training for that. So I was getting a taste of, of kind of what was going on. But at that stage, mate, I was kind of, you know, learning as I go. 
Um, so it's like, it, it kind of, you, when it, when it, the change over is all about, you've got to then immerse yourself in learning. You still got to learn. Like I, I still, I'm still learning now. I'm never going to stop. But there's always things coming out that I'm like, oh, I didn't know about that. I didn't know about this. You've got to keep learning. So it's it's no different from the start as I, as I am doing now. It's just the initial knowledge of that transition from general population into athletes. Um, it's quite, it takes a lot, a lot of reading, a lot of looking at what the best coaches are doing, a lot of looking at, you know, I mean, now it's it's more much more accessible because you've got YouTube, you've got you know you can Google everything, you can do this or that. So I was buying like some of the the top books from Amazon and, and kind of reading and just you know just constant self development. Because I'll be honest, I didn't know what I was doing training an athlete to start with. I was just learning. Um, I only knew kind of a little bit from shadowing my my friends that were Warren to Wolf coaches, and they just said keep it simple, keep it simple. You don't need to overcomplicate things whatsoever. Um, and actually, it, it starts when you do do that, it is actually easier to coach an athlete than it is a general population person. Because athletes are generally, you can say, hey, you know, this is what we're going to do today. Okay, no worries. And we'll just get on with it. Whereas when you general population, this is what we're doing today. Well, yeah, but what did you have for dinner? It was kind of all <laughs> kind of all that sort of thing. So that's kind of why I wanted to try, kind of transition a little bit into more of the, the professional side of things. How did have you ever met anyone for your time? I'm sure you have, who you're like, wow, that person's just freaky. Like they're freakily good. Yeah, a lot of people, mate. Um, there's been so there's to be fair. We always laugh about it because they're all kind of all they're all our friends now anyway. But um, when we first met Alex Volkanovsky, we were like, "Wow!" Now he's going to train, and he was always picking things up dead quick and whatever else. We were like, "He'll be champion one day." When we when we met Izzy, same thing. He was only a Tiger a, a couple of times, you know, but um, and he wasn't really over there for training camps or anything else, but. Again, just knowing the boys that he's with and whatever else, Eugene over at City Kickboxing and, and Doug and all those guys, um, we were like, if he, he, if he transitions to MMA, champion. Peter Yan, same thing. He came to us when he was, I think, 17 or 18. And we were like, he's going to be champ one day. It was just all these guys. and we, Because you see the same attributes, mate. That's why. You see that, that the work ethic is second to none. And also... the the, the way they want to learn, they want to listen. How do you, oh, how do you do this? If they get caught in something, well, hang on a second, how have you done that? And then you, you, you'll be hard pushed to catch them in it again. It's things like that, mate. And there's still, there's still char- characteristics that just roll through. And um, it's like, there's a few more of our friends that are like Brad Riddell now, he's rising the ranks in the UFC quite quickly. And again, we, we always said, you know, Brad's going to go far because he had a great kickboxing career and Muay Thai career. Um, but he picks things up so easily it's craziness it's just like you know he hasn't been wrestling that wrong uh, sorry that long and you wouldn't put it past him you know out wrestling someone that's wrestled since we were five years old so it's you know it's you just see the same attributes and the same physicality of of the people Um, and you're just like yeah craziness one guy that um, stood out for me 
um, a lot was a, a guy, Mehbet Taisumo, who I think he's still contracted to UFC now. Um, he's been coming back and forth to Tiger for ages, but he just an absolute freak, mate. Absolute freak of nature. Just always, like, we used to call him Iron Man because it was like, you know, if he gripped him, he was like, he was like iron. He was just solid. And um, he comes from Chechnya. And they build them differently over there, I can tell you. Um, so he's been, like, fighting his whole life anyway. And then when he moved into MMA, he was like, I think he was M1 Global Champ and a few other things. And then he got into the UFC and he was just absolutely, I think he won six and one in his first seven fights in the UFC. And then he lost his last one against Diego Ferreira. But, um, yeah, he's just he's just one of those guys. Like, he just, he's just like, I don't think anyone can beat him if he's on his day. Um but yeah, there's so many people, mate. It's just uh, again, like I say to you, you see the same characteristics in all of them. Are you involved in any other cuts? No, I, I'll. Well, yeah, that's that's a lie. I'll I'll help if I'm on hand. However, a few. A few of those fighters I've mentioned, they do. They go with the fight dietitian, Jordy, mm-hmm. uh, Jordan Sullivan. Yeah, he's he's amazing, mate. He's 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 really really good. So if I'm if he happens to not be there, he will then obviously tell me like play by play. You know, okay, what's it at now? How's he at now? Blah blah blah, and we'll we'll work through it together. But no, he's a he's an absolute genius in that, and, and I'm a big big one for. If I don't know as much as as someone else that knows, you know, that can do it better than they're, they're going to do it better than, than me. So, yeah, and I've never really uh, dipped my toe in that in that because it's it's so such a big part of it, mate. If you yeah. get that weight cut wrong, the the performance would be, you know, it could be it could be shit, and um, they might not weight weight, which obviously costs them money too. So, yeah, that's that's the scary thing when you when you start getting involved in. And the paychecks. Mm. I don't want to be responsible of losing 50 grand or something, right? <laughs> Can you give a rough breakdown of what actually goes into cutting weight? Because I've heard the fight dietitian talk and it's very, very scientific. It's in, yeah, it's incredibly scientific. Um, he, so initially, I mean, he, what he wants is that people are, whether you're in fight camp or out of fight camp or whatever it may be, you're not kind of off your diet. Your your diet is the, your way of living, uh, way way of eating. Anyway, it's not it's not necessarily a diet or anything like that. So he wants just constant nutrition going in to fuel your training. So again, the top top guys that are that are doing this are seeing way better results than people who are just you know eating cakes and burgers when they're not fighting. So like again, Brad, for instance. Uh, I use him a lot as a, an example because of his professionalism. It's crazy. But he'll he'll always kind of stick to what Geordie prescribes him. And what Geordie does is it'll be dependent on what training he's got planned as well. So Brad will have to send through his training program and whatever else. And then, okay, this will be a hard session. This will be an easy, blah, blah, blah. And then Geordie will plan throughout that. And then that follows all the way through to fight camp. Now, what he wants you to do is be walking around a little bit um, closer to your weight rather than... He doesn't like much 10 kilos or anything over, really. 
<clears throat> so, yeah, walking more towards you, um, towards your fight weight without obviously affecting performance. You still want to be progressing your performance, and then that carries through to the to the fight camp. It's all about performance, and you're still able to do what you want to do and get the best out of your training. And he just does it perfectly, mate. The fuel, he, he just fuels the guys right. And um, if there's anything like, you know, if if Brad, for instance, again says, oh, you know, I didn't feel good on that day or I'm not doing this, not doing that, he'll tweak it. He'll be like, right, just add in one more scoop of peanut butter or whatever it might be. And he just knows. And it's uh, it's really, really good. It's, yeah, he's, 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 it's, it's, it's good to work alongside him because, you know, it's it's a guy proper at the top of his top of his game. So, um, and like I say, when it comes to the the wake up week, he's got a system where he doesn't want to the the bath and all that is kind of the last thing that he wants to drop. So if you can make weight, some people do it, make weight without having to step a foot in that bath, perfect. And it's all about more, uh, water manipulation and carb manipulation and dropping your fats and whatever else. So it's um yeah it's, it's definitely a science to it and it's something that I am not a scientist of. <laughs> if I drop on any names, what's the biggest weight cut you've seen? Uh, twelve. Twelve kg. That was a struggle. Twelve over the the fight week. Mm-hmm. For a fighter who. Again, I'm not dropping any names, but fights at a, a lower weight. So, twelve. If you're a heavyweight, it's a, you know it's achievable. If you're a lower weight, it's going to be a struggle. So, yeah, twelve. What about good. what about when? So you've cut weight and then you're actually refueling. So you've done you've yeah. done the weigh-ins. What does your weight normally jump up by after the the weigh-ins? It usually goes, Jordy usually gets it to pretty much the same as, as what it was. Because obviously you've, you've just, you've sucked out all the water in you and whatever else to kind of cut weight and, and whatever else is going on and your carbs and that. So your body's depleted anyway. So as soon as you put that carb meal in and you, you get your fluids going in and you kind of, drip, he has it so the drip feeding, um, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the, throughout the day, um, so yeah, it's pretty much back up to to weight. To be honest, mate, it's it's crazy. Um, yeah. I've some I've seen some guys put too much on and then be sluggish. Yeah. So again, it, you have to follow. Jordy has it again to a science because he he doesn't want you to be like that. So it's still, <clears throat> and he doesn't have anyone really putting in things that they haven't eaten for the past four or five weeks because again, people get upset stomachs and whatever else, and they get bloated and. And yeah, and then I've seen it the next day. People are sluggish, and it's just like, what was in? What was wrong in there? I just felt like I had no energy. I was just tired or sluggish because they'd eaten too much. So yeah, it's crazy, mate. It's definitely yeah, like I say, a proper art to it. I was talking to you. I don't know if you've heard of a man, Nathan Fletcher from Liverpool. Yes, I think that yeah. that kid's going to be very, very special. Coming up, he fights in the same gym as uh, Paddy the Body. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he fights, he fights in that gym, and um, he was talking to me, and he was telling me that on his on his last fight, or maybe it was the fight before, basically what happened was he went to a hotel, and he had, like, you know, like the mini fridge in, in your room? 
Yeah. And he didn't read the label on it. And the label says, do not put food in here. So wow. he put all of his meal prep. <laughs> he put all of his meal prep in, in the food and he ended up giving himself a really bad stomach bug. <laughs> and that was that was a day before us. Like, and he says, like the whole way, you know, to the kids, no, he is like, flip my stomach is in bits here. This is not good. But thankfully, you know, it didn't affect his performance. He went out, he got the submission, like where he says, like, after coming through that, he knows that no matter what happens, that like, he's going to be all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as you don't shit yourself in the cage, you'll be That's fine. That's it, cancel the butt cheeks. <laughs> um, yeah, mate, fuck, that's unlucky, that. That's, that's unlucky. But yeah, that's good, like, see, that's see that to me, like, that some people would pull out because of that, you know? Oh, I can't, I've, you know, I've got this, I've got that. That's a that's a that's a young kid who knows what where he's going. You know that's that's good. He's, he's going to be fighting for the, the title here, and I think if he wins this tight, if he wins this fight, was winning the title, Cage Warriors. I think the next step then is the UFC. Oh, great! That's well, that's 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 what he's saying. You know, that's that's what he thinks. Yeah. That's what his team thinks. So, I mean, Cage Warriors. Yeah, that's that's a, a big stepping stone for a lot of UK talent um, to the UFC. So that's that's really good. Um, again, yeah. How old is he? I think he's about 23. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 sweet. Yeah, 23, 24, like he's young. Yeah, because, um, yeah, a lot of people, I've seen a lot of young kids, they want to rush to get to UFC. I must get there, I must get there, I must get there. And they're not quite ready, you know. But, mm. um, yeah, if he's, if he's 23, 24, and he's got a good, good team behind him, that's awesome. <clears throat> so... Did you end up having a relationship with City Kickboxing as well? Like, were you were going over to City Kickboxing, or were you solely just based in in Tiger? So I was based in Tiger, but I, um, like I say, I, I've, I've been mates with Brad Riddell for about ten, no, 12, 13 years. So he was always kind of over it um, in New Zealand, anyway. First of all, at City Liga, um, and then at City, he moved over to City Kickboxing with Eugene and Doug. And, and all those guys across there. Um, so I, I met all the city kickboxing guys through Brad. Um, and there's been times where we've been to Brad's fights together and, and whatever else. But um, I've never been across to work specifically for city, in with city kickboxing, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I've got a good good relationship with the guys over there. It's um, the great people and it's a great great club producing great great talent so yeah we <clears throat> it's good we're all um it's good that we're all kind of linked you yeah. know i mean thailand the, thailand's an amazing place for that the, the amount of good people that we've met and made connections and, and whatever else which which then in turn is is going to be good when we open up our own spot you know because um it's, it's got a place for other people to come if they want to train out in thailand and, and whatever else is it's all about the coaches and the people rather than the facility, I think. Yeah. Some students forget about that. <clears throat> On a typical <clears throat> fight camp, how often would you get the guys in? Would you get them three times a week, twice a week? What would it be? So it depends on how far out and also depending on what their needs are. Um, I can't necessarily have groups of people because I like to do it individually because it's it's really hard, mate, if you if you've got two guys that are at two different levels in terms of like, say if we're working on strength and whatever else it's like, it's hard to, to, to concentrate on 
on two people at the same time. So I like to go individually um, because, again, like I say, one guy might be insanely strong and we only just need to maintain that uh, if he's insanely strong for his weight. And then another guy might be quite weak for his weight. So then we have to develop his strength. So it's, you know, it's, it's totally different. So um, to answer, kind of answer your question, if we're, if we're 12 weeks out, I like to have the guys four times a week, mm-hmm. depending on their needs. Um, and then as it gets closer down to the fight, obviously skill and, and you know, actual fight prep takes takes uh, control. That's, that's, that's the most important thing. Um, and then I just try and, you know, work with them. Towards the end, it's probably only twice a week, mate, that again. And then we have a Saturday um, kind of fight simulator that we do with them too. Um, so two, three times a week, max. Um, but yeah, it's, again, it's different different for different people. It depends how out of shape they come into fight camp. So you're saying on Saturday you do like fight sim- simulation. What is that? Is yeah. that just uh, back-to-back sparring or what is it? It's um, it's kind of like something where it's it's kind of like a bit of a gut checker. Um, it's meant to make you feel uncomfortable and and horrible. Um, City kickboxing do a good one they call Spider. Um, it's basically you know like a, a number of exercises which are designed to get you tired, and then you know like using the assault bike and you know sprawls and things that are going to fatigue you. And then you go into like live grappling or you're hitting pads or you, you're wrestling with someone and, and vice versa. Then you come off and you hit pads again and everything's designed to make you uncomfortable in that session. Um, and it's just one of them where, you know, you've got to, you've got to really dig in, dig deep and push through and not quit. Um, and that's kind of what we want to instill, you know, it's fight isn't always going to be easy. It's not going to be nice. It's a, it's a fight, you know, so. That's kind of what we're what we're trying to do is with, with that session. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's all about kind of pre fatigue and then and then making people uncomfortable and let let's see how how they react to that. Yeah, sort of building that mental strength as well. Exactly, mate. Mental strength, resilience, the the actual thing of I can do this. I'm going to do this. I'm not, you know. So. Yeah, because the thing is, mate, you've you've got to be able. If if someone can't push through in that in that environment, because we get it very loud, where everyone's yelling at each other and whatever else, if people can't can't kind of push through in that environment where you're not going to get hurt necessarily, you're not going to get you know beat up on, you're not going to get whatever else, then you're going to struggle when it comes and you're in a bad position and someone is beating up on you. So it's like you you've got to just knuckle in and just grind. Grit your teeth and just get it done. So, yeah, it's a good one. It's definitely one of the the harder sports out there. Definitely, mate. Yeah, it's a it's a rough it's a rough old deal. Definitely, there's just so much to it. You know, it's just um, card, and you've got to, especially now with the younger kids coming up as well. Everyone kind of trains everything. You know. Um, and if they get a good, it's so mainstream now that if you you know if there are some very very good MMA clubs uh, out there. Um, so yeah, you you've, you've got to be good at everything pretty much wrestling, striking, jujitsu. You've got to be proficient in them all, otherwise you're you're going to struggle. I think at the higher level now. Did you see that transition take place? Yeah, it was like um, 
I mean, you, you can kind of see it like in the early UFCs, like where they had like the, the backstreet brawlers and whatever else. And then obviously Gracie came into it and, and Ken Shamrock and they had a lot of jujitsu and, and wrestling and whatever else. And they were, they were kind of killing the competition um, and bigger guys too. So it was like, all right. And then everyone took notice of kind of jujitsu. So everyone kind of started with that. And then it's kind of the same with like the wrestlers and that you see a lot of wrestlers dominating now as well. So people had like take took part. Oh, I need more wrestling. I need more wrestling. So it's just it's it's crazy. You can't just be a big heavy puncher now, like you you kind of used to be. It's all gone all gone too professional, and everyone's too good at everything. Um, and that stood out, like I say, back back in the day when someone else was good at, you know, was proficient at everything, like a Shamrock or a, whatever else. He was kind of you know doing really well. Um, Baz Rutten. Same sort of thing. And then, yeah, as it came up, BJ Pan. And then obviously St. Pierre kind of started it all off. And then that was that was kind of the thing snowballing, you know. It was mad. Do you ever remember like the Baz Rudin fights where it was like the open hand strikes? Yeah. How mad is that? Pan Grace. Like Baz is just knocking people out with open hand slaps. Unbelievable. <laughs> like man. Him. him and um, Frank Shamrock. Frank Shamrock was really good at it too. Yeah, that's he crazy. Was, uh, and then uh, the transition for him into the movies, like here comes the boom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Half of them can't act. I love that as well. <laughs> They're always in those really low budget films, but here comes the boom. It's all right. I'll give it that. Yeah, I, I quite liked it to be fair. I quite liked it. Yeah, oh. it's all right. Was it Chael Sonnen that was in that as well? I think so. I can't I can't really remember it. Eh? I know it was, it was it was all right. It was good banter. <clears throat> what what I've noticed from from living in Northern Ireland is like the rise of Conor McGregor and yeah. how that has changed everything over here. Like, see, see, back when I like, so I'm 26. Back when I was going to school, like, see, MMA virtually unheard of. Like, it yeah. wasn't really that big. Everyone was into boxing. Everyone was watching Carl Frampton. That's what was that's what was all about. And then Conor McGregor comes on the scene. And then you start seeing people in the playground like pretend to do roundhouses and all these gyms opening up everywhere. Yeah, I mean, he's he's just definitely taking it to another level, mate. He has. There's no one that can deny him that. Um, and, and I think he's got it on his Instagram or whatever it was, the face of the fight game. Mate, everyone, even people that aren't, that don't know what MMA is. Like, I've had conversations in the pub about you know, what do you do? Or strength and conditioning coach. There's people that fight MMA and stuff, and they're like, what's MMA? Say, have you heard of UFC? Conor McGregor? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So it's like people that don't even really know what MMA is, know Conor McGregor. So it's, yeah, he's really, um, he's really propelled um, MMA as a whole, definitely. I mean, there's obviously been other pioneers in the, that have they've kind of kept it, the ball rolling and, and whatever else. Um, but he definitely put put it on the map a lot more. What was the first fight you ever watched? Um, first fight I ever watched MMA. Yeah, MMA. Uh, I think I watched. Um, God, what's his name? Gary Goodridge. Knockout Paul Herrera, is it? 
when he had him in like a crucifix and elbowed his head off. I think that was the first first one I watched. It was like it just randomly was on TV. It was like UFC, I don't know, six or something. Um, and then I was kind of watching it. I was like, oh, okay. And then I carried on watching, and there was Tank Abbott there. It was knocking people out. Um, and then obviously Ken Shamrock and all those guys. And then um, I would just watch it when it was on. I wasn't really too interested. I was obviously scrapping, so every every lad likes to watch a bit, of, a few scraps and that. But to be fair, I was I was very much into K1 and, and boxing at that point. So, um, but then as it can and it, as it can transpired, I, I really liked um, watching fighters like uh, Chuck Liddell, like back in the mm-hmm. day. He was my yeah, he was my favorite back in the day, Chuck Liddell. Um, just because it looked like he'd come out of the, from the pub. And he was just, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Didn't yeah, it? Yeah, hard. Yeah, he kind of had that 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 look about him where he was just like, but he was just hard as nails, and it was just like it was great. Um, so yeah, I think that I think I think it was Gary Goodridge, yeah, the, the first one I watched. I said this before. The first fight I ever watched was uh, Chael Sonnen Anderson Silva, and it was the fight where Chael Sonnen took the back and was slapping his ears, and then Anderson Silva won it. I think it was in. In the last round, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but the UFC used to be on late at night, but it was on one of it wasn't on like one of the big Sky Sports channels. It was on one of the Bravo. Was it Bravo? Bravo was on. Yeah. Was it Freeview? Yes, it was. Yeah. Because this this is how this is what I remember. I remember sitting in my room it was like 15, 16, and you were just like flicking through the channels. Yeah, I think that I'm was pretty just sure. On. I'm pretty sure it was Bravo, mate. Yeah, because I know Bravo had. Um, Another one of them too. I can't think which one it had. But yeah, Bravo, definitely. And I can't think there was K what was the other one in the UK? Cage Rage or something? Yeah. Bravo had that too. I think Bravo was kind of the, the go-to for that, those kind of kind of sports. Um, but then obviously BT Sports got it now, which is which is good. And then what have you got for boxing? What was the the first boxing fight that stands out for you? Um, I remember back in the day I was watching, I was a big Frank Bruno fan. And I was uh, also Nigel Benn and uh, and Chris Eubank. Mm-hmm. They they yeah they were they were kind of my favourites kind of growing up and then watching them two fight each other and also um, I think the one that I really remember was Frank Bruno against Tyson and mm-hmm. then we thought he was going to win at some point and obviously not. <laughs> so the fight that stands out for me was Joe Calzaghe, him versus yeah. Roy Jones. Oh yeah, Calzaghe was unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. I remember. I, like, think, I don't think he got as as much credit as what he should have done. I don't think it was weird. I, I think it was just because he didn't he didn't fight Roy Jones Jr. at the prime. It was mm. sort of just like it was near the end, and then you know it wasn't really his fault. To be honest, it's just what was available at the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I also loved uh, Prince Azim as well. He was amazing. Oh, the dance moves. <laughs> yeah, just but just so good, just like just those one punch knockouts. It's such a small, like a small weight as well. Yeah, he was in there. Yeah, he was really, really good. And he was kind of one of those guys that kind of brought that entertainment value as well. What do you think about like boxing at the minute? And I think you know where I'm going to go with this. Like all the the celebrities and UFC fighters. What do you think? Mate, it's just kind of it's if I. If I was like um, a proper like a boxer and whatever else, I don't know what I would think about what's happening right now because it's it's ridiculous. I understand, 
don't get me wrong, I understand people kind of, if they're at the end of their careers and whatever else, and they're kind of cashing in, whatever else, everyone, like, fill your boots, I reckon, because, you you know, it's a short career in the combat sports, and if you can get another mill out of something, out of fighting fucking some bloke off YouTube, then, then why not, you know? But it's it's not so good, is it? Let's be honest. You got this Jake Paul calling out everyone left, right, and centre like he's like he's Connor, and he if he actually stepped in a ring with a proper proper boxer, you get cleaned out. Yeah, absolutely cleaned out. And it's just annoying that he's there now at the forefront, making a shit ton more money, um, and he's not that good. I have, I have so many opinions on this, and I think one of the biggest problems with boxing and why MMA is doing better. Like, so as you know yourself from coaching UFC fighters, you know that if you get within that top five, more than likely you're going to fight for a title at some stage between yeah. one and five. If you're a boxer and you're in, like, say, WBO or whoever, there's another champion, the chances of you fighting are very, very slim if there's money in it. Like the best yeah. example would be Joshua Fury. Will we ever see that? Who knows? Yeah, I know. I I think that's it's crazy. It really is crazy. Like that. That's. I mean, Tyson's obviously well up for it. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't care, or whatever else. But I think it's the promoters that hold it back. Um, because if if I was a boxer at the top of my game, and then there was another guy that was saying he could beat me, like. Okay, you're gonna want to you're gonna want to fight each other to see who the better man is. You're gonna yeah. want to because you want to secure like your legacy. You want to be the best in the world. So it's a bit unfair that these promoters kind of hold hold these guys back, and and it's all to do with the money, and it's all to do with where's it gonna be, and are we gonna go to Saudi Arabia because then we can get you know X amount of million, or oh that's yeah. fallen through. Well, we can't do this, so it's it's a bit. Yeah, it's a bit shit on that front, mate. I don't really, but that's promoting's always been like that, hasn't it? It's always about the cash. So, and that's why there's always been big money in boxing, too. I think, in, in terms of like, I'd say the last couple of years, I've probably got more mature to the fact from talking to the certain people or reading books, whatever. And you realize how corrupt, how corrupt it all is. Like, I, I was reading uh, the Mike Tyson autobiography. And see the things that that man had to deal with. It was not normal. Have yeah, you read his book? Uh, no, I watched. Um, he did that that documentary where he spoke, like he, it was pretty much about him speaking, and he was kind of relaying a lot of things that were in his book. I think, but um, yeah, he was telling me some of the stuff. It's mental, eh? Oh, that was just crazy. Like Don King had his hand in him, had his image rights, and then he got like two new agents or whoever they were. They had their hand in him. And it was just so many people after Cus D'Amato Day that it was just so many people had their hand in. And like yeah. he, this is this is the, the maddest thing I find. He was talking about uh, how he was about to have his kid and he had his baby and he was walking through, uh, what, what's the big supermarket called in America? Walmart. Walmart, that's it. He was walking through Walmart. And he was walking down the like the aisle where they sell the nappies, and he was looking at all the nappies, and he was thinking to himself in his head, "I don't know if I have enough money to buy these nappies here." And that was Mike Tyson. Yeah, that's that's absolutely 
insane. It was it was a shame that he he went broke and whatever else. It was it was crazy, but that was just all. Like you say, that was too many hanger-ons and too many people saying, yeah, I'll do this for you, Mike, I'll do this for you. And really just fleecing him of his money. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And it, he just didn't have someone there to say, hey, come on, mate, these guys are taking you for a ride here. Because they all, they're all very, I know what's best for you, I know what's best for you. Bad, mate, really bad. It's criminal. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is. So, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, it's it's kind of always been like that. Like Don King's obviously been renowned for the worst, the worst of it, but he's still in involved in the sport now. So, but it even goes like, the whole way down to uh, the amateur levels. Like, have, have you heard of Michael Conlon? No. So Michael Conlon is a, a boxer from Northern Ireland. He fought for Ireland in the Olympics. Look okay. this up. Look this up when you get a chance. So he was fighting in the Olympics. And he, I think he was fighting a Russian fella and like boxing the ears off him, like yeah. really beating him. They looked at the first round and Paddy Barnes was up, who's another fighter from Northern Ireland. He shouted down to the corner. He's like, they're trying to rob him here. He's lost that first round. And his dad was the coach for Team Ireland. So his dad was in his corner and his dad was like, you need to go and stop him here. So he goes out, beats him comfortably the second round. Goes in the third yeah. round, beats him comfortably in the third round. Gets the decision. Decision goes against him. The crowd, like everyone was booing. He ends up doing like a mad interview where he basically tells them to go after themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it goes super viral. A whole lot, hundreds of thousands of people follow him from this. But it was the day they robbed him of the chance of becoming an Olympic champion because he was the favorite that year, but just corrupt. A corrupt judge. That was what it was, corrupt judge. It's crazy. It's crazy that it goes all the way to Olympic level. Oh, yeah. It's insane. It's insane, mate. But it's it's in every sport to some degree. Of course. Anywhere that, where there's money involved, mate, there's corruption. That's what I've learned along the way, whether it's sport or anything. There just seems to be corruption everywhere whenever there's money involved. There's always someone that wants a slice or someone wants a backhander. Or somebody, you know, can do this for you, but as long as you do this for me, it's just bad, mate. Have you ever been involved watching a fight where it's one of your friends or watching someone at the highest level and you're in their corner or you're in the back, whatever it is, and they have been robbed of a decision and, like, what that atmosphere is like going back to the locker room? Like, knowing, like, I've won that fight comfortably. Yeah. um, I mean, it happens all the time. I say all the time. It happens quite often in Muay Thai where where people will, will be, you know, robbed a little bit. Um, China was one of the main ones that, that the guys always used to say, you've got you to either win extremely convincingly or knock them out, otherwise you ain't taking over the W. Um, and I've seen I've seen um, a couple of guys have to go an extra round when it was clearly not an extra round uh, fight in kickboxing and stuff. Clearly won the first three rounds, and then they called it an extra round. It's insane. And luckily they still they still won the fight, but it's just like what they were hoping for is that you know our fighter would fatigue with that extra round, and then and then uh, the. Yeah, the Chinese opponent get the, the knockout or whatever it would be. But yeah, I've seen it a few times, mate. But it's just 
<clears throat> it's it's weird because you, you don't really know what to say at that to that point because they know that they won. So you can't say, oh yeah, you won that, mate. Because they know that they're in there, they're they're fighting, you know. It's just like at that point, what can you do? You can't do anything really. The judge has given it to the to the other guy. You you can't really appeal it. Um so it's just like you just gotta kind of get on with it. It's it's a shit way to to lose a fight. And it's terrible if it goes on, you know, on a proper record and stuff. Um but yeah, you kind of just gotta suck it up and get on with it and just accept it. Unfortunately, that's part of the sport as well. Obviously, there's been a, a few bad decisions in MMA. And like if you would listen to the, if you're listening to like Joe Rogan or whatever when he's talking about after it, I think he would say that it's people who are judging who don't know what they're watching. Yeah. Um, there's a call for a lot of ex-fighters to be judges, I think, now. Um, kind of get kind of get rid of the old guard, you know, the, the, the guys that have been around for, for a while and they're on about, yeah, getting some, some new blood, new judges in. Because um, if you think about it, mate, it was, MMA was obviously still a new sport now. Mm-hmm. even though it's like 20, 25 years old, it's still relatively new. So, or however long it is um, since the UFC was, you know, was born. But um, so, yeah, it was always going to be like teething problems and this and that. But at this level now, there should, there should not be any rubbish decisions. Like mm-hmm. you've seen it yourself in the UFC where you've just gone like, how, how, even if I knew nothing about that sport, you could see clearly who won that fight. And there's, it's gone against them. And Dana White's, obviously, the press conference been furious and whatever else. Um, yeah, it's mental, mate. It's like they've got to they've got to do something because it does happen more often than it should. Yeah, no, you're you're definitely right. Would you have any experience in in this area? Because another thing that that I've noticed. I've talked to quite a few people. So like uh, Raquel panicked and she had issues with this. I don't know if you know Jimmy Wallhead. Yeah, yeah. I don't know him, but yeah, I know him. Yeah. Jimmy was talking to me about this as well. And it was like tainted supplements. So obviously you saw that came in. And so I'll give you Jimmy's. Jimmy's is probably the best one. Um, Jimmy says that he was over in the UK and he bought a supplement. It was a real, it was a real good quality supplement. He took it. He got pinged by USADA when he got to the UFC. Yeah. Um, he came back as like a microdose. It said that it had no performance benefit. Um, right. He then went and bought like all the supplements that that shop had. He then had to pay like his own money because it was like three or four thousand pound. Got those all tested by USADA, by Jeff. And yeah. again, they all came back as tainted. But USADA still hit him with, I think it was like a six month span. But uh, yeah. but this was like a long, long process of you know trying to prove his innocence. And basically what happened was back home, the local papers got a hold of the story and they ran the story about how he was a drug cheat and you know he was trying to cheat. And he says like the worst thing, like he said he was raging, like he was so upset because the worst thing about it wasn't that he like he, he got pinged and he hadn't done it. The worst part was he was teaching kids classes and he had to go up to all the parents afterwards and basically say, like, listen this isn't me. Like I didn't do that. And he had, yeah. like, it was almost like he was defending his honor. Yeah, it really is. I've heard a few, few people kind of have had that and it's, um, 
so awful, mate. Like it shouldn't. Yeah, I understand the whole USADA testing process, and I understand that you know it's all about keeping you know clean sport. And I'm not an advocate of like if you're if you're involved in like a physical fight and whatever else. I don't think you should be taking anything, which is unfair advantage, you know. Um, <clears throat> but um, when it comes down to like when it comes down to that, and he's proved that all those supplements that haven't been opened are tainted. Like, give the man a break, like because, like you say, it's it's when people get hold of it, they just automatically automatically think. Yeah, well, he was doing something, though, wasn't he? Like, and you're like, well, no, not everybody does do things. Like, it's just, yeah, I feel sorry for people in that situation. Um, don't get me wrong, like people like uh, what's his face that just fought the flyweight that just came back. TJ. Yeah, TJ. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, TJ. Yeah, like him. Yeah, all right. Like court, he was doing stuff. Him. for a bloke that's sent his uh, spent his own a shit ton of his own money sent it to a USADA and they've gone yeah you're right all these supplements are tainted but guess what you still got six months or eight months ban or whatever it is bad mate it's bad okay. um, it's mad the whole situation's mad I think one of the things from talking to these guys it's like it's mad how things change for them you know like as soon as I'm sure you've seen it all before you know one of the guys you've got at the gym goes and he gets into the UFC and then it's all the messages from back home like, oh, mate, you're doing so well. We're so proud of you. You're great. He loses one fight and they're like, oh, fuck, you're, you're crap. <laughs> like, yeah. you're not that good. And I was like, you people are delusional. Yeah, it's unbelievable, mate. It's unbelievable. Like, um, just to touch back on that, on the supplement thing, just real quick. Um, Obviously, it is bad for like, what, at the same time, now I think they put things in place. You're only allowed if it's informed sport and you know properly tested products. Yeah. So guys obviously understand the rules of taking understand the risks of taking outside of those products. So if I was an athlete now and I and, and I tell the guys like don't take anything else besides if it's got that these stamps on it, otherwise, you know, you're just asking for trouble. And that's why people are getting caught. Whether it's a high, high level brand or not, if if it hasn't got that stamp, don't take it. I think Raquel um, Pennington's one. But I don't know if you know much about that. Uh, Raquel I just Pen- saw for it, but it, I, I didn't see see much her, else. I had her on the podcast, and her basically what she said was she got diagnosed. I don't want to say what she got diagnosed with in case I quote it wrong. Yeah, yeah that's fine. But she got diagnosed with something from her doctor. Her doctor yeah. prescribed her a medicine. Okay. And it was basically to stop her hair and all falling out. Yeah. And then obviously she took that and then she pinged with USADA. I don't know how much of the ban she got. But it, what she was saying was like she was not taking that as a performance enhancer. She was taking that because my hair was falling out. See, this is the thing, though, like um, Jeff and all those guys at USADA, they're, they've all, it's all accessible now on the internet and you can ring and whatever else and get these supplements checked. So, like, I don't know, 
I mean, I don't know, don't know her situation whatsoever, so I'm not like commenting saying she's done wrong or whatever else. Um, but if you get prescribed something by the doctors and you're not quite sure about it, you're gonna have to ring Usad. You're gonna have to and say, "Hey, listen, I've been prescribed this. Can I take it? Or am I okay to take it? But as long as you know about it, kind of thing." And I think they give exemptions. I'm sure they do with if it's something that you, you know you need and it's not a performance enhancer. Um, it's just a shit that it's like a gray area. It's like, how are you, how many people are you going to literally, if it isn't performance enhancing, like, I don't know, you, you're, you're a bit shit to just ban someone and not effectively, you know, you can ruin someone's career by doing it. And it's only a short career anyway. Like yeah. there's two arguments to it, mate, because the, the, the athlete knows the risks and they, they, they've been given whatever it is to get in contact with USADA and tell them and this and that. And then on the flip side, you know, do you have to be that harsh on someone that's taking a medicine for, for you know, to stop the hair falling out or whatever else it might be? So it's like, yeah, there's two arguments to it, man. So I just looked it up. It was her thyroid. It was someone okay, who's that. Okay. So that, that's what she was taking from her doctor. And I think okay. I, was, I was trying to read her statement there briefly, but I think she was saying in her statement that she didn't realize that she needed to declare that the USADA or something. I don't know. Ah, okay, yeah, I could tag yeah. in the statement if you really want to like, but I think it was pretty pretty much cover yeah, it yeah but... it's, it's shit when it's like that but again it, people do use thyroid medication to to strip body fat quicker so yeah. it's like yeah so it's like if you're struggling to cut weight and you're you're stripping your body fat down and whatever else using this supplement so you sort of probably would view that as a performance enhancer um but yeah it's just again it's just there's two there's two arguments to it mate it's, it's a bit it's a gray area Maybe I'm completely wrong, right? So you're talking about like a, a thyroid medicine and that can be used to strip weight. Yeah. But what if that's taken, you have no fight offers and you're taking that for a thyroid problem and you have like no fight lined up? Like surely there's no benefit of stripping weight outside of camp? Yeah, I think um, that's when they should, they should probably contact your doctor and say, has she been prescribed this? If so, what for? And then if they've got doctor's clearance on it, I can't see a problem with it, quite honestly. Yeah. Like it's a bit it's a bit unfair. Again, again, it's I didn't know. And again, it's like, did they need to be that harsh? They could have just literally rang the doctor and said, What have you prescribed this for? The doctor could say whatever condition. Okay, I understand. Hey, slap on the wrists. Make sure you ring in every medication you get from now on. That would have been, yeah. you know, sufficient. So, well, yeah, it's, it. a bit, it's, a bit, it's a bit harsh, mate. But. You can see that there's there's definitely a need for it because, like, in the old days, it was the Wild West. Yeah, well, pride. Like, yeah, but they, who, didn't, who didn't like watching Big yeah. Juices? That's <laughs> <laughs> well, even, so, like, remember, like, seeing, like, Uber Ream and... Yeah. Big Vitor. Yeah. I wonder if we'll see Uber Ream again now he's back in glory. Oh, I think so. <laughs> I think so. I think so too. <laughs> It'll be interesting. So I'm excited for that one. Him and Rico. It'd be cool. What about uh so obviously the UFC's drug testing is is like it's up there, like you know, it's, it's probably one of the yeah. best. What about other promotions? Uh, has there been promotions where it's been you don't need the name any as but where it's been lightly hinted like do what you want? Yeah. Yeah, it's, still, it's, uh, it's still the Wild there's West. Still a, there's still a few around Asia we'll say that that kind of let things go. Yeah. Not so much uh not so much drug testing. 
some of the smaller promotions, obviously, um, that can't necessarily afford testing, um, that they they obviously let it go. They know it goes on, but they're not going to do anything. But at the same time, if you're if you're blazing through the ranks through through a promotion by taking stuff, and then you you get all of a sudden you get signed by the UFC, well, then you can't take anything again. So what are you going to do? Like suddenly, all this super strength and whatever else you you've had from from taking things doesn't carry over anymore. You know, you can have a very short UFC career. So it's like, yeah, it's it's, it's not even worth it. Like for these younger guys or whatever they might be to to try and dabble with it if their end goal is is UFC. How quickly does it leave your system once it's in it? Um, it depends, mate. So there's there's various different compounds that that people take. One can leave you within a day. Others, it can be 12 months, you can still get tested for it. And that, that could be one injection that you have and it's in your system. It, you can still pop 12 months. Well, I don't, I don't even mean like popping for you, Sada. I mean more, so say you're taking a steroid and it's increasing. Based or... Yeah, performance-based, more performance-based. How long does it take for that performance-based to, to run off to where you go back down to, like say, a normal level of testosterone? Or... Um. Again, it differs through through the different like uh, different compounds, but generally three weeks, three weeks, weeks, and then that, that's how quickly it would be to leave. Yeah, and it be it wouldn't be really active in your in your system anymore, depending on how much you'd obviously put in. Um, yeah, two to three weeks, and then you you kind of you you're on your way down then, and your your natural testosterone needs to be sparked back up again, otherwise you're going to be in trouble. Does it affect the the natural production of testosterone? Like, would it would your levels be a lot lower after t- like going for a cycle? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, um, it it stops your natural test production, um, which is why they obviously a lot of the, the the blokes that take stuff to get like shrinking balls and whatnot because it stops your your natural production, um, which can always be sparked back up and whatever else, but it. Yeah, it does stop that because your your body's getting synthetic versions. So it's like, well, why do I need to produce my own? I've got enough anyway. So that's mm-hmm. kind of how it goes. <clears throat> um, so yeah, so that's why like people, if they come off cycle or whatever else, they've got to be very good at kickstarting their own natural production back up. Otherwise, they're going to lose. And I'm sure if you've been around gyms and whatever else, you you, you can see a bloke two months ago was jacked and lifting heavy and doing this and doing that. And then all of a sudden he might've come off his cycle another two months in and uh, he's like looking like a melted wheelie bin. So it's mm-hmm. like, you just, they've obviously just not, you know, kept trying to keep their gains as, as well as they could by sparking up the, their natural test and, and kind of getting the body working uh, a natural state again. So how often would, say a professional athlete need to be on cycle for? Is that something they can take all year round or is it very much where it has to be like every couple of months? I mean, professional athletes, they, it's, it's weird with, with that one. Cause I've never been around knowing. Yeah. That it's going on. If you know what I mean? Um, in terms of knowing the ins and outs, I know that it does go on. Don't get me wrong, but I've, I've not been around someone that's 
that's told me, you know, like, because some, some of these people, like, obviously, you know, the, the whole Russian doping scandal and whatever else, that's all, that was all kind of to the, to the T. So I don't actually know in terms of, like, anyone myself that's that's been controlled by a doctor that that's uh, prescribed them stuff. But generally, um, from what, from speaking to, like, people in more in the know there, there's a, there's a thing called testosterone suspension and that's basically, and you probably have to inject it every day. Um, and that's in and out of your body within 24 hours and you can't get tested for it. Um, unless you get tested on that day that you've, you've kind of done it. So, um, would, would that be like, so like coming up to the fight and then maybe that last week you don't take anything or you yeah, may, if, you want, if you want to risk that. Yeah. That's that would, that would be the way to yeah, yeah. Um, but again, like, it, it doesn't necessarily make sense for a lot of MMA athletes either because a lot of these can put on size. You know, a lot of these compounds can put size. They, they, they build lean muscle. They build, regardless of what you might be doing, if you're not even lifting weights, but if you're just grappling with someone every day and, you know, you're in physical activity every day, they're, they're going to build some sort of lean muscle size on you. So... If you're competing in a in a weight class, the, you know you're going to struggle to make that weight class, like simply. So it's um, yeah, it's it's a bit of a funny one. I don't I don't necessarily understand why. I do understand why people do it. A lot of people have been doing it for recovery wise, you know, so they can train better and, and longer and whatever else and recover and then go again the next day. Um, but yeah, it's not really it's not really worth it at all. What you're starting to notice more and more in MMA, I think, is that you're starting to see like a, a transition. Like, so what we were talking about earlier was with like rugby, where athletes are getting bigger and stronger, faster, yeah. and they're actually starting to look like athletes. Well, I think that that transition's already started to happen in MMA. Like, people are getting just so much more athletic. Like, I think uh, probably the best example would be like Yo Romero, mm. like for like 41, 42 years old, completely bodied up. Polo yeah. Costa is another one, completely yeah. shredded. Yeah, I mean, in regards to Romero, he, I mean, he's been wrestling his his whole life, so he's kind of built that that body. He's been an Olympic yeah athlete. athlete, yeah. So he will have had a lifting program, a training program, whatever else, from whenever he was in that Olympic squad and probably beforehand. So he's built his body over years and years and years of, of doing that, that kind of thing. And he would have had a nutritionist and this and that. Um, so yeah, in terms of Costa, I'm not so sure about him. Maybe, yeah, <laughs> uh, maybe he's <laughs> had some Brazilian horse meat or something, but, That's um, it, uh... but again, like people, people, you know, give shit and whatever else, but maybe it's just a genetic freak. You know, you do get these people. Maybe the Mexican burritos. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, like, you know, that that kind of look like these cover models and stuff like that. I mean, he has got a hefty amount of muscle mass, but I mean, it didn't didn't do anything when he Izzy was taking his head off. So yeah, that's true. It's very true. In terms of when you're that big and you've got that much size fighting in that division, do you find that there's like any repercussions on that, like the the use of oxygen and gas and like quickly or? Yeah. Um, if you, especially if your body isn't used to hand, carrying that weight. So what we mean by that is like, so say for instance, they have been juicing or whatever they're doing, and 
you've put on a certain amount of size, your body isn't used to carrying that size. So it has to quickly adapt within the training and, you know, nine times out of 10, it just doesn't work out. But if you're naturally a big unit anyway, your body will be more efficient, but you'll still gas out quicker than someone that's leaner. Mm. And that's just pure, you know, pure science, really. Your, your, your muscle needs more oxygen. So you're going to have to breathe a little bit heavier. You're going to have to get more oxygen in. So, yeah, it's just, that's just the way it is. If you're carrying 10 pounds more of muscle than, than another person, your chances are, you know, if you're kind of same fitness, shall we say, you're going to gas out quicker because your, your body just needs more oxygen. This is completely off topic, but did yeah. you ever meet Volk when he was playing league? No, I didn't. No, no, I didn't. Um, I'd have loved to have, yeah, I'd have loved to have gone and had a game with him for sure. Big fat Volk. Footy Volk is the man. He's the man. <laughs> we always we always laugh because uh, we always we always say that Footy Volk's the best Volk because. Um, we always say like, oh yeah, you know, you you had a few beers back then and whatever else, because he's like a proper professional now. Um, but yeah, we always laugh and say, bring back Footy Volk. We want Footy Volk. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a lad, yeah. No, was, he's um, yeah, that would have been cool to have played with him. But no, unfortunately not. He was de- he was deep in his MMA career when I met him. Like, 2014, he came mm-hmm. across for the the Tiger Muay Thai tryouts. Um, that's when I first met him, and then. And then that's when you met George then, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah, George came. Yeah, George George won um, the grappling competition at the end. Yeah. So we did all, like, the beach training and the Muay Thai and the MMA and whatever else. And then there was a grappling competition at the end. Um, it was on. It fell on, like, a Thai holiday called Songkran, which is, like, the water festival. And they called it the Songkran Scramble. And uh, George actually beat Volk in the final to win that. Mm-hmm crazy two wrestlers basically in the final against all these jiu-jitsu guys unreal all right it's, it's mad what, what i'm actually really enjoying at the moment is um volkanovsky's instagram see that cooking with volk my day is that funny that's just good i'll tell you what what a legend so when we were um when we were just in in vegas with him he he'd go shop so we all went shopping whatever else but he knew exactly what to what he was getting and whatever else and he was he cooked for us pretty much every day. Every mm-hmm. single day he cooked for us all. So, yeah, just shows you what type of bloke. And he, but he loves he loves cooking too. He loves his show. He loves loves all that side of things. It's good. What, what would you rate yeah. him out of 10 for his cooking ability? Mate, it's up there. I tell you what, he can cook some steak, that boy. <laughs> oh, it's, it's bang on. It's bang on. Um, his spaghetti bolognese, his stir fries as well are, are pretty pretty up there. I'll have to say we'll give him a nine. We can't give him a ten out of ten because that'd be too <laughs> Definitely have to clap that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got to give him some shit. <laughs> How did you find tough? Uh, it was good, mate. Yeah, it was it was good. It was like um good to be back in that in that kind of uh atmosphere with like Volk and, and and his coach Joe and then Colby came who's one of Volk's main training partners and then Craig Jones uh, was part of the team too and then obviously Frank Hickman as well so it was good because we we've all we all all of us apart from um, Craig 
kind of knew each other for years anyway. So it was uh-huh. nice to be in that kind of, you know, environment because we haven't seen each other in a while because due to COVID and stuff like that. So it was, it was cool to kind of be brought back together through through something good like that. And then Craig came straight in and fitted in anyway. He's a, he's a great bloke. Craig. Yeah, he seems like a funny yeah. guy. Yeah, he's got good, good banter. So he fit in straight away. Um, but yeah, it was it was awesome, mate. It was a good good experience. Um, again, very grateful to to have been part of that and to vault for bringing me out. Um, yeah, it was it was good fun. Um, you've got to, just got to remember you're on the mic. Oh <laughs> yeah, half the time, especially when you, it's just a group of blokes. You know what you like, so it's like oh, uh, keeping the be, uh, keeping the banter PG. <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll say so, you'll say something and then you'll just be like, "Can you cut that for us, please?" <laughs> <laughs> did you have your pieces in where they'd be like oh yeah that's fine no nah, no nah, it was literally um so i didn't know what to expect obviously it's a reality tv show isn't it so um but it was all completely natural there was nothing staged or anything like that um it just ran as it ran basically we just would walk in and it'd be like all right boys who's getting mic today for the coach which ones are the coaches getting mic today and then yeah, we'd go through our practice and whatever else. And then that would kind of be it. And then um, obviously there was there was different things where, you know, the pranks that, that were had and, and done. Mm-hmm. Um, we were kind of kept back or just hang fire back boys for a second. We knew we were getting pranked or whatever else. But besides that, there was, there was nothing where it was like, hey, you need to start this or say this or conversation about this. Or it was absolutely nothing like that. So it was, it was pretty cool. It was all all organic stuff. Um, and even the lads in the in the house said the same thing. It was they might be sat around, you know, playing chess or or cards or whatever it was they were doing, and then a camera might roll in, and then you know one of the guys would probably be thinking, "Oh, actually, I better start a conversation about something." So then they'd be like, "Oh, how did you get into MMA?" And then it just kind of like that. They kind of the guys kind of learn because at the end of the day, the the show's about obviously about Volk and Ortega and whatever else, but it's about the, the guys, you know, getting through and, and promoting themselves and getting into the UFC. So like, um, we kind of said to the, said to the boys, listen, bring out your personalities. Like, and I'm sure that the directors and whoever else said that too, because this is a great opportunity for, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions to, to watch you. And then, you know, if they like you and they get behind you, you know, and you're a good fight and you end up getting the contract, it's it's going to be really, really good for some of those folks. So, but yeah, it was, it was cool. It was really, really good experience. Whose idea was it uh, for the clocks? Uh, it was kind of like, it was a, it was a joint one. We were tossing it up because it, it does seem a bit lame <laughs> considering the pranks that they did to us. But to be fair, we 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 came with some uh, some good pranks that Craig came up with, and um, there was a few others like were mentioned, but they wouldn't let us do them because um, they were too. They, they might be seen as, you know, damaging his own personal property or or take as a personal property and this and that. So it's like we weren't allowed to do them because, like, one of the ideas was he had he always drove in in his big. Um, Jeep thing um, so we were like can we not get a spray painter you know the paint that you can just uh, air thing you wash off what's it called spray wash off 
Mm-hmm. And then, you know what I mean? So they would spray, they'd spray all team vault colours. And so he comes out after practice and he's like, fucking hell, like all these things, team Volk and then whatever else, and Volk would be sitting in there in the front seat or whatever it was. And they wouldn't let us do it because it was his own personal property. Yeah, it's good. Like, like they should have rolled off it. Yeah, no, it was annoying because it was it wasn't going to damage his car or anything. It was just it was going to be sprayed off. It would have been fine, but yeah, they wouldn't allow us to do it. But there was a there was a couple of other pranks then, a couple of pranks that weren't shown as well. So, but yeah, what other pranks we, did you do then that weren't shown? We, we uh, Volko had the idea. I think it was Volko or Craig. He was like, "Let's get um, urinal cakes with Ortega's face on them." And then just put them all in, in the pisses. So we had them made and that like we literally put them in and it was, I think it was the Friday. And then Saturday was UFC at the Apex as well. So anyone that was in, they were still in there. So anyone that was in there um, fighting would be like walking in and the urinals there and you'd just be like, well, take his face. Why is that there? So, um, but yeah, again, they just didn't put that in, but it is what it is. So, oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. They, they they just film everything and then they send it off, and it's whoever the powers that be decide what goes in the show and stuff. So, so here's a nice question: Who went and got the clocks? Was that like producers or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The producers, yeah, they all went. Uh, I was gonna say that would be like a mad trip to the shopping center. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, five hundred clocks. Hey, let's get the truck out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they they went and got that. Yeah, but that was that was just a. a we wanted to kind of do that as just like a like a mini prank anyway, just to because it was always we always called it Ortega time because fuck man, he was always late, always. And for yeah. us, we were always like half an hour before the guys every time, if not an hour, because we'd maybe do some training beforehand. Um, and we were never late for him, not once. And it was just like it was frustrating for us because we're like, you're you're you know, we felt responsible for those guys because they they've got a huge opportunity and we're supposed to help them get that opportunity. And um Ortega just didn't look like he gave a fuck and his coaches were late all the time as well. And it's just like, you know, that it's say if they were supposed to be there at four, he'd turn up at half four, quarter to five, or even five o'clock sometimes. We'd be walking out after having a coffee and having a chat or whatever, and it, we'd be driving off. And he'd be driving in and I'd look at the clock and it's like five to five. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's supposed to be there at uh, four. Yes, team's all there. Yeah, so it's just like, you know, shit like that. We were just like, yeah, we, we didn't really like that. We didn't take too kind of thought because even his, even his uh, I think he's, if you watch the show, I think some of his guys say it on that, kind of say like, oh yeah, he's not very good at timekeeping or whatever else. But they're just in there shadow boxing by themselves. Like just, what are we doing here? <laughs> So and then the practices would run later, so I think I think actually it's five o'clock or whatever he, he was supposed to start and say they didn't start to quarter six. Well, they would then run it over, so they were still getting the practice time. I get that, but then it was later for the guys to go home and eat, which then made it late for them to go to bed, which then made it late for them to get up, and it was just like, come on, you're supposed to be responsible for these guys. Like that's the sort of things like I suppose as a fan you don't really think about when you're watching it. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a good insight to have. Yeah. Like, like I say, we, 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 we were really lucky in terms of, I mean, all the guys on the show were, were nice, were decent blokes. Um, <clears throat> but we were lucky with the team that we had in terms of, we, 
the way the picks went, didn't we didn't necessarily get everyone that we wanted. However, a week or two weeks in, we did get we had everyone we wanted, if you know what I mean. Because the way it started to gel and everyone was helping each other and you know, that was it was it was really good. The fighters that got kind of got eliminated and whatever else, they were still being bodies and main training partners for the guys. They could have just been like, oh, I'm out, blah, blah, blah. But they didn't. They sucked it up. And they were helping other people still achieve what they want to do, you know? So it's it was really, really good. And we uh, we were lucky with the team we had. But I think we set the stall out from the start. Um, Volko was really good at that anyway because he, he leads from the front a lot of the time. Um so he he was kind of the one that kind of set the stall and said, you know, listen, lads, we're we're here as a team. We're going to work as a team. Yeah, you're all on your own individual journeys, but you're all teammates as far as we're concerned, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to help each other, and we're gonna we're gonna get through it together. And if it comes to the fact where a couple of you have to fight each other, then we'll cross that bridge when it comes to it. But as of now, this is what we do, and this is how we do it. And Volk was in every practice, you know, wherever he can, was like sparring the guys, wrestling the guys you know, everything like that. So it's unbelievable uh, experience yeah. for them. Oh, amazing experience for some of those guys. Like some, some people, you know, young in their careers, four and oh, five and oh, whatever it might have been. <clears throat> and then they're sparring with a champ, wrestling with a champ and then just seeing as well. I think that's what inspired a lot of them as well. The work rate of Volk is, is second to none. And so they were seeing that and that, that kind of helped. And, and um, yeah, I think it was just, we just had a really good team, mate. We just had a really good team. And we we really, yeah, really, we as coaches really wanted them to succeed and then that filtered down, you know? So I think that's where Ortega slipped up because, you know, it started to filter down that he wasn't that arsed and then kind of the guys, you know, kind of maybe maybe saw that a little bit and weren't too keen because um, after the, we lost the first four, obviously, we then won pretty much every other fucking fight. <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm going to let you go in a wee second here, but I'd love for you yeah, no to break down this card for me. Okay. All right. All right. So I'm going to give you the Vogue versus Ortega card, but we'll start. We'll only, we'll only pick four fights off it. We'll, and Hooker versus Nazra. Yeah. So I know Dan. I'm a yeah. That's what I think. Dan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go hooker on this one. Um, it, I mean, all these fights are insane, are crazy. Is that great card? It's such a great card. Um, I've got to go with my boy Hooker. He um, he is coming off a loss or whatever, but I, I he's yeah. I think he'll have made the adjustments, and I think he'll he'll was do his it. Last loss, uh, Chandler. Is that who his last fight was? Yeah, yeah. That was a hard fight, like Chandler's a beast. Yeah, Chandler is a beast, and um, you know Dan. Dan just got caught on the way out. Um, but Dan's Dan's such a smart fighter; his fight IQ is crazy. So I think, like I say, he'll have he'll have made a lot of adjustments, and I think he'll uh, he'll be okay. Next fight we'll go, which is I'm looking at the two fights primarily on this card. Obviously, the main yeah. event, but the return of Diaz. Versus Lawler. Oh, yeah. God. I can see that being an absolute war. I really can. Um, 
I hope it is from a fan's perspective. Yeah. Um, I, I, I love both those guys. I love, I'm a really big fan of Robbie Lawler. Really big fan. Hard as nails, both of them. Um, oh, yeah. Hard as nails. And um, yeah, I was I was so happy when Lawler won the, won the title that time. Um, just because he's a, he's a true fighter, you know, they're two, both of them are two true fighters. And um, I think that's going to be a war. Ah, uh, God. It's a hard one to pick that. I, I want to say Lola, but it depends what Diaz has been training or whatever else, you know? Maybe I'm talking absolute crap here, right? I feel free to tell me it. Right? I think if Diaz wins, yeah, you could make an argument for him to fight for a title. And that's, that's, that's mad, but from a money perspective, I think it's a massive I mean, fight. Let's be honest. I think they're probably looking down that route, aren't they? Because yeah. they've given Lawler is no pushover by any means. Like he's a hard, hard bloke. But I think he's he's been he's two or three fights like in where they've been absolute wars, and I think he's not quite where he was, you know, anymore. So yeah, I think I think they're wanting Diaz to win, but I hope I hope Lawler upsets the party. It's or equally what I could see as well, which would be a massive money fight. If if Diaz wins, the older brother avenging has lost the Masvidal. Yeah, again, yeah, yeah. There's uh, to be honest, mate. If if they, I think they they'll, they'll want him to win because uh, yeah, they're they're, they're going to be huge money fights after it. Um. You could have him, yeah. You could have him find Masvidal. You could have him, mate. Any of those blokes, he'll step in and it'll be a he'll be a big money fight. Masvidal will be a good one. I didn't even didn't even really think about that. Even Connor at one Sunday. I hear you could do it. You could do yeah. it. But then, like, this is the thing as well. Connor has to win his next fight. He yes, can't mate. not win. He can't not win. I know, and I don't know who they're going to give him for the next one. Um, they're going to they're going to try and let they're going to try and put him in against someone he can he can beat and whatever else. But it depends. depends you think what, so? What yeah, I think the the they'll put in a bit still a big name. Don't get me wrong, but I think they'll be expecting Connor to be able to win because um, they I think they just want to set him up possibly for another title shot. Um, and then maybe call it a day, but I don't know. Yeah, it's hard. To, it's hard to know, mate. They want, but they want. He's the he's the man that's brought us so much money for so mm-hmm. long. So they still want him to be to be in, involved and up there. So who who could he fight though? Like who who is there that? Not that you would give him as a walk. You know, it's going to be a hard fight no matter who he gets. Like, but that's that yeah, top ten in that division. Like, so from ten, you've got Dan Hooker ten. Nine, yeah. you've got RDA. Eight, yeah. you've got Tony. Seven, you've got McGregor. Six, you've got Islam, which is like a mini Khabib. Yeah. Five, you've got Chandler. Four, Darius. Three, Gaethje. Two, Poirier. One, Oliveira. Yeah, I mean, that's stacked. <laughs> yeah, it's it's right now it's the hardest division, mate. Definitely. Um, yeah, who could you give him on that? Who could um, you give him? There's RDA no, maybe. Uh, RDA because they've maybe got history, but like 
in that top 20, well, I, that 10 to 20, you've got no real big names that's going to get Mark McGregor's attention. Unless maybe, like, I don't know, someone comes back like a legend or, you know, a big name in the sport. But even then, it's it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, mate. I, I honestly don't know which way they're going to go with it. It's uh, it's going to be tough for him. I think RDA might be the might be the kind of the one, but he's then below mm-hmm. below him. So you'd you'd expect them to want him to fight someone above him. But don't yeah. think it. I don't think it matters who who McGregor fights as long as it's a name and he wins. Because if you look, he bought he beats Cerrone. Yeah, and then you could have argued that his first fight with Poirier that could have been a title fight. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Because I think he was still champion at that stage, was he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got that. So next fight I've got for you, Shevchenko versus Murphy. Let's be honest. Valentina's yeah. going to kill it again. Absolutely Crazy kill it. Good. Crazy yeah, good. Yeah, if she doesn't knock her out, then she'll, she'll win by unanimous. Or it'll be a TKO or something like that. I just don't see her losing, mate. The... And again, after after she fights, they've got to set up Amanda mm-hmm. again. They're going to have to. Because both of them have got nowhere else to go, really. They've got no one else to, to really throw down with. Do you think she beats Amanda? She can, she can beat Amanda, yeah. She can. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that was close the last time before. But she, but she, can, she can beat her. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully, hopefully that fight will happen again. Obviously, everyone knew how good Amanda was, but I think one of the fights that she really stands out was Cyborg. Yeah, she absolutely dominated Cyborg, and that was that was like a fight. I don't know if she went in as favorite for that fight, but I think it was pretty close. Yeah, in terms of odds, like I, I think it was people could have seen it go anyway because obviously Cyborg was a massive name and. Dominated everyone. Yeah, I don't. I, I can't think who was favourite for that. I don't. I don't even know if Cyborg was favourite for that because everyone was obviously the hype was behind it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Nunes is yeah Nunes is up there and Valentina's up there. I just don't see. I don't see which which way they're going to go after Valentina wins at the weekend. I'm not sure. I don't know if even if Nunes has got another fight signed yet. Yeah. But, but yeah, I don't. I really don't know. They need to match them two together. Maybe a catchweight or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> catchweight for all the belts. Yeah, would be cool. Yeah, it would be cool. Uh, then we've got obviously main event. I think I know yeah. where you're going to go. Who you're going to pick for this one? Yeah, we'll take it. Clever, clever. Versus Ortega. Yeah, obviously I'm going. I'm going Volk. Um, I just can't see. Ortega being able to handle the pace. I really can't. Do you think it stays on the feet? Uh, I think it's going to stay on the feet until he, he's getting tagged and then he's he's going to try and try and get into Volk. But Volk's wrestling defence and whatever else is just too good, mate. I just don't. Yeah. I don't see Ortega beating him anywhere. Like, yeah. I think Volk's scramble and, and whatever else it, and his jiu-jitsu defence and stuff like that, it's just, it's just better than anything but Ortega's going to kind of give and, and I know Volk is majorly stronger than him so yeah I'm, I'm going to have to go Volk's with that one and I'm predicting that he's going to finish him going to finish him? yeah he's going to finish him 
Yeah. Don't know what it's going to go for Buckley. I reckon it'll go. I reckon it'll go into the third, maybe. So third or fourth round finish, I reckon for Bulk. Oh, uh, I think it's going to be an absolute. It's going to be a great fight. I think the whole card's going to yeah. be a great, a great night. To be fair. Yeah, it is. I can't wait for it. Really can't wait for it. Especially getting up at three a.m. Can't wait for that. Oh <laughs> no, mate! Isn't it an absolute <laughs> killer? Like those UK cards. Yeah. I think it was the last McGregor fight. I'm pretty sure I got up at 12, watched it. So I got all my friends around, uh, went early prelims, prelims. And I think the early prelims was on a different channel. So like, yeah. I was like, I uh, paid for it on box office. I was like, paid for it on box office. Gets to about four in the morning, three or four in the morning. That's when the main card actually started. And then McGregor didn't make the walk to like half six. Oh, mate. Yeah, it's Dan. It's Dan. As I try to keep my eyes open and all. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> hard. But look, like, thankfully, when we're in Thailand, we get all the cards, and it's probably the earliest for us is probably the prelims, 6 a.m. It's not bad, like, it's not bad. So that's sweet. And then the main card comes on at nine, usually. So we're like, we're laughing. We're laughing. We're having a breakfast watching it. So it's, it's decent. But yeah, over here, it's a different kettle of fish. I'm going up. Um, Actually, to to watch with my mate Shay Shay Walsh. He's got mm-hmm. um, a gym in Lancaster. He used to fight. He used to be the champ of Bama, mm-hmm. um, and he was Volk's main training partner when he was in Thailand. So it's going to be a good one, I think. We'll have a couple of beers watching Volk on that one. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, mate, thank you very much for your time. I really yeah, appreciate it. I probably you, kept you a wee bit too long there, but just for the conversation right. was flowing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. That's yeah, I enjoyed talking to you, mate. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you very much, mate. We'll definitely have to get you on again. Yeah, yeah, anytime, mate. Shoot me a message.